Chapter Eight, Part Two of Religion and Health. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Simona Rosso. Religion and Health by James Joseph Walsh. Chapter Eight: Mortification, Part Two. Four hundred years ago, Michelangelo declared that trifles make perfection but perfection is no trifle no one had a better right to an opinion in the matter than he for he was the greatest culture since the time of the greeks one of the greatest architects who ever lived perhaps the greatest decorative artist in all history as the sistine chapel demonstrates and he wrote sonnets of the highest quality if in the mind of so supreme an artist so little things count so much in making a great work of art, surely they must count for a very great deal in making a moral masterpiece, or anything that approaches it. Michelangelo himself recognized, over and over again in life, what bearing the trials and troubles of existence might have on building up character for him and bringing him other than an earthly reward he once said to one of the popes if these fatigues which i endure do not benefit my soul i lose both time and labour there is a famous sonnet of his in which he begs pardon of his crucified god if he had ever attributed to himself any of the glory which he ought to have given to his maker if ever a man lived who had the right to have some conceit of himself it was michelangelo when we look around and see the little whippets who have monumental conceit and then think of michelangelo's deprecation of himself it is easy to understand how he must have suppressed or as they say in the older time mortified his pride in order to keep his humility and not let any self-exaltation run away with him mortification in its true sense is indeed much more a question of the mind and the heart than of the body cultivating detachment from the things around us means more than anything else this mortification of the spirit of men so that material possessions are not allowed to crowd out the genuine good things of life is particularly important nowadays people are so afraid to be poor or indeed to lack anything that their neighbors have that the principal efforts of life are expanded in keeping up with the smiths or with some other utterly insignificant people who happen to be making a display I suppose that every physician in a large city has known people who actually denied themselves some of the necessaries of life in order to wear a little better clothes, and of course every physician everywhere sees people who deform their feet and disturb their organic health in other ways trying to keep up with the fashions. The fear of being thought to have less than other people and of having to deny oneself something that happens to be fashionable is particularly rife in our time and plays sad havoc with mental equanimity and with such satisfaction with life as is the best safeguard of continued health there was a time centuries ago under the roman empire when money had come to be as much thought 
of as in our own time when the wealthy went down to naples in the winter up to como in the summer had a house at ostia as well as a palace in rome it is easy to understand that the people then as now fail to comprehend how any one could possibly choose to be poor even though thus he succeeded in putting off the cares of wealth and gave himself an opportunity to live his life for the sake of higher things religion raised up men who went into voluntary poverty and restored the dignity of labor when manual work had become almost a disgrace by deliberately electing to occupy themselves with it for a certain number of hours a day their example proved very precious and as it was mainly the young men who did it they influenced deeply a series of generations the sons of the nobility as well as of professional classes were represented among these reformers who believed first in reforming themselves but along with them were young men of all classes and the barriers between the classes were thus lowered the cultivation of religious poverty proved the greatest kind of blessing in the social order and has always meant much for the amelioration of social conditions which it brings with it i suppose that the greatest possible benefit for health that could be conferred on mankind at the present time would come from the eradication of the mad strife for the possession of money which has taken possession of so many men's minds our recent great war was precipitated by the struggle for markets and favored nations among whom to distribute surplus industrial products so that certain nations might go on piling up money this is so badly distributed that serious social disorders are impending men spend their lives getting money and then leave it to their children to hurt them physically and morally they take away incentive and they provide the greatest possible facilities for temptations justice hughes said some years ago when governor of new york the main occupation of men in our time seems to be the raising of a corruption fund for their children we need some of that poverty of spirit which christianity brought in with it when it was so sadly needed and which was cultivated with so much success during the later middle ages when the great scholars and saintly characters who most deeply influenced the times were mainly members of the mendicant orders that is of associations of men who refused to own any possessions in order that they might have the time to devote themselves to higher things and who depended on the work of their hands and the benefits of the public to enable them to continue their work their motto was plain living and high thinking and it is surprising how much they accomplished the spirit which made saint francis of assisi choose the lady poverty for his bride and delight to call himself il poverello di dio the little poor man of god would seem to be entirely too impracticable and utterly idealistic to have any interest for our time and yet literally more than a score of important lives of saint francis have been written during our generation we are beginning to wake up to the realization of the fact that 
things are in the saddle and ride mankind and that things seem ever so much more important than thoughts though it requires no special intelligence to understand what an utter contradiction of real values any such state of mind represents what is now needed above all is such detachment from the things around us that we shall be poor in spirit this is the element above all that religion supplies in the sermon on the mount that greatest sermon ever preached the master said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven certainly there is no straighter road to heavenly peace than that for a man may have great possessions and yet be poor in spirit because he is detached from them and has mortified his feelings with regard to them so that they do not puff him up and make him vain what striking old saxon words those are so that he is able to use them not for himself alone but for the benefit of the community the expression poor in spirit is not popular in our time and has often been spoken of contemptuously there are some who think that actual poverty as well as poverty of spirit has a paralyzing effect on human incentive but it is well to realize that there are a good many serious thinkers in our generation who do not agree with this impression but on the contrary feel that detachment from temporal goods may well prove a source of the highest and best stimulation to the accomplishment of what is really worth while in life some of them express themselves rather strongly on the subject and perhaps no one has stated his mind more emphatically with regard to it than professor william james who did not hesitate to declare just when money had come to be apparently the most important thing in modern life among us english-speaking peoples especially do the praises of poverty need once more to be boldly sung we have grown literally afraid to be poor we despise anyone who elects to be poor in order to simplify and save his inner life if he does not join the general scramble and pant with the money-making street we deem him spiritless and lacking in ambition we have lost the power even of imagining what the ancient idealization of poverty could have meant the liberation from material attachments the unbribed soul the manlier indifference the paying our way by what we are or do and not by what we have the right to fling away our life at any moment irresponsibly the more athletic trim in short the moral fighting shape when we of the so-called better classes are scared as men when never scared in history at material ugliness and hardship when we put off marriage until our house can be artistic and quake at the thought of having a child without a bank account it is time for thinking men to protest against so unmanly and irreligious a state of opinion i recommend this matter to your serious pondering for it is certain that the prevalent fear of poverty among the educated classes is the worst moral disease from which our civilization suffers all the great religions have preached mortification 
some of them have made it apparently of value in itself as working merit but this was practically always an abuse of the original idea that a man learned to control himself by practicing hard things our generation resents even the term hard things and does not like to hear hard sayings though even the gentlest of human beings the divine master felt that he had to use them there can be no doubt at all however about the benefit to be derived from enduring hard things every trainer who helps to have a winning team in any department of athletics knows that he has to put them through hard things in order to enable them to acquire power and make their energies available when they are needed somehow people do not seem to realize that exactly the same thing is necessary with regard to training of the will as for the training of the muscles and that indeed training of the muscles is of itself effective largely because of the training of the will connected with it which makes the nervous system capable of reacting according to the desires of the individual while we are so intent on making things easy for the young let us not forget that the best authorities on the subject of man's development of his powers so as to make them available for life's purposes are practically all agreed that the most important element in the formation of character and on character depends destiny is the having to go through hard things when one is young in the chapter on suffering i have quoted tucitides in this matter and its approval by gladstone and john morley in our own time we hear much of a favorable environment for young folks but most of what is so-called represents the worst possible set of influences for the development of character Professor Conklin of Princeton, in his volume on Heredity and Environment, which consists of lectures delivered on the Harris Foundation of the Northwestern University and afterwards at Princeton, and which therefore must be taken to represent the scientific thought of our time, does not hesitate to say, how often it is said that the worthless sons of worthy parents are mysteries, with the best of heredity and environment they amount to nothing whereas the sons of poor and ignorant farmers blacksmiths tanners and black woodsmen with few opportunities and with many hardships and disadvantages become world figures probably the inheritance in these last named cases was no better than in the former but the environment was better good environment usually means easy pleasant refined surroundings all the opportunities that money can buy but little responsibility and none of that self-discipline which reveals the hidden powers and which alone should be counted good environment many schools and colleges are making the same mistake as the fond parents luxury soft living irresponsibility are not only allowed but are encouraged and endowed and by such means it is hoped to bring out that in men which can only be born in travail 
above all mortification that is the surpassing of the natural inclinations must be practised for health's sake as regards to bearing of illness that have to be suffered anyhow and in the forbearance from passion when that would certainly prove physically disturbing bear and forbear has been sometimes set down as the most important formula for life and it is certainly as valuable for the physical as for the moral side of humanity the repression of the natural tendencies is an extremely valuable practice for the prevention of the many excesses which have so much to do with the undermining of health the man who controls himself and compels his instincts to submit to correction and modification even when that is unnecessary so far as any serious consideration is concerned will surely find himself in a position to resist natural proclivities to evil which may easily be serious from the standpoint of health whenever they assert themselves austerity is supposed to be old-fashioned and out of date but all those who want to get anything really worth while done in the world know that they must deny themselves and their inclinations and work out their ideas in lonely vigil and by hard work nothing that is easy counts when men do things that will be remembered they have devoted themselves wholeheartedly to them to the exclusion of more attractive occupations matthew arnold in his splendid sonnet on austerity as the poet must practice it has brought this out very forcibly he tells the story of jacopone da todi the author of the stabat mater who on his wedding day saw his bride of the morning killed by the fall of a stand at a spectacle and found beneath her bridal robes a penitential garment he was so deeply impressed that he became a franciscan and subsequently the author of the famous hymn certainly pathos was never more wondrously expressed than by this man whose own austerities initiated by the example of his beloved bride made him ready to strip himself of every trivial interest in the cult of the eternal verities that son of italy who tried to blow ere dante came the trump of sacred song in his light youth amid a festal throng sate with his bride to see a public show fair was the bride and on her front did glow youth like a star and what to young belong gay raiments sparkling gods elation strong a prop gave way crash fell a platform lo mid struggling sufferers hurt to death she lay shuddering they drew her garments off and found a robe of sackcloth next to smooth white skin such poets is your bride the muse young gay radiant adorned outside a hidden ground of thought and of austerity within so far from mortification being in any sense of the word an old-fashioned worn-out practice good enough for the foolish people of the dark ages who had nothing better to think of it is in so far as it brings about training of the will and exercise in self-denial and self-control 
the most important element in education at all times. We have unfortunately been neglecting it, but that neglect is the real trouble with our modern education. Nearly everyone who talks about education has some mental panacea for it. But the trouble lies deeper than that. It is the education of the will that has unfortunately been neglected and that requires to cite once more the century definition, the subduing of appetites, even though painful severities should have to be inflicted on the body. Huxley, in his address on a liberal education and where to find it, delivered before the South London Working Men's College, has a passage in which he brings this out very well. Almost needless to say, Huxley was the farthest possible from being medievally minded, and yet he placed the essence of a liberal education in willpower over self rather than in intellectual development, or above all the accumulation of information. He said, that man, I think, has had a liberal education who has been so trained in youth that his body is the ready servant of his will and does with ease and pleasure all the work that, as a mechanism, it is capable of, whose intellect is a clear, cold logic engine with all its parts of equal strength and in smooth working order, ready, like a steam engine, to be turned to any kind of work and spin the grossners as well as forge the anchors of the mind, whose mind is stored with a knowledge of the great and fundamental truths of nature and of the laws of her operations, one who, no stunted ascetic, is full of life and fire, but whose passions are trained to come to heal by a vigorous will, the servant of a tender conscience, who has learned to love all beauty, whether of nature or of art, to hate all vileness and to respect others as himself, such an one and no other, I conceive, has had a liberal education, for he is as completely as a man can be in harmony with nature. End of chapter 8